<laughs> I actually, sorry elementary kids, I said I would only, you know, stay up and preach if all of my elementary friends were up here. So that's, you, you're up here, boom. Thank you, Malcolm, I appreciate that. And actually, I'm gonna need some kids' help because so far this summer, we have been talking about, in kids' church, we've been talking about God, yay! That's always a, a winner to talk about God at kids' church. Um, but we've been talking about the mystery of God and how do we understand God and that God has a lot of different titles and a lot of different roles. And a lot of those are kind of metaphorical of like, God is blank and how do we, how do we know? So to kind of, kids, I need your help to help catch up all of the grown-ups, okay, on some of the things we have been talking about so far. So I have some of our crafts and some of our props. So this one, and if you know, you don't have to raise your hand, you can just shout it out, okay? So this is like the world and the universe. This is God is a blank. It's the very first one we did. God is our clothes. He made the world. That was a hint. Who said it? Creator. God is our creator. We learned that from the very beginning, and, he, and that's why we're so creative. Okay, here's another one. This is a little teeny thing of clay. Jens, you know this one. God is the potter, and we are the clay. He molds us and shapes us constantly, whether we like it or not. Okay, we've got a little lammy. God is our shepherd and we are the sheep. We have a few sheep that still need a shepherd downstairs though. We have another one. This one. God is our, our rock and our foundation. Yes, he is solid to, re to rely upon. All right. Sorry parents for this one that came home. God is our shield and our fortress. He will protect us, right? Not, this is for defending, not for offense. So we talked a lot about. <laughs> and I think I have one more in here. Yeah, this was last week. This was kind of a little more obscure one. This is a boat. Remember, Jesus calmed the storm. God is the, he's the, it's kind of like a boat, but that's not it. This is a little trickier one. This one is for, for God is the master of all. He calms the storm and he's in control of all things. So, nice job, kids. Thank you. That was a little stressful <laughs> for me to see how well they've been listening. But you guys passed with flying colors, so thank you for that. So, tonight, we're going to kind of continue on that theme, but for grown-ups and kids alike. Um, is we're going to dive into God is our guide, not our Sherpa. So the image of God is our guide is probably the description for me in my life that I have resonated with the most. Um, believe it or not, back in the day, like turn of the century, I was actually a guide for a ministry called Beyond. We got that picture? Yep, there's a picture way back. With young Jen, I was two in with the red helmet. You'll also notice another handsome man who is also a Beyond Guide, Mr. Milston. Um, that's another story. But so on any given Beyond trip, there is a guide, or two guides, and a participant. 
or a bunch of participants. Now the roles and responsibilities of the participant is super easy. Don't die. Don't fall off a cliff while you're carrying food or community gear and die. That is also bad. And make sure that people on your rope team, when you cross a crevasse or cross a glacier, don't die in a crevasse. Super easy, right? <laughs> don't die. Especially it's easy if you listen to the instructions of your guide throughout the time of your week. Um, and sometimes these instructions are as simple as put one foot in front of the other, follow my footsteps, and you will not fall in a crevasse or go sliding down the mountain. In fact, a couple years ago, uh, there was a group of super hardcore, amazing women from our church. Boom! Do you see some familiar faces up there? Woohoo! These ladies decided to follow the, <laughs> the invitation of Emily Fraser and I to go into the mountains for a week and encounter Jesus. And, by, and everyone came back safe, no broken bones, huge victory, great time. Uh, and so while we were there, we were able to encounter Jesus through this super amazing, stretching, faith-building, mountain-climbing experience. Now, on the other hand, a guide's roles and responsibilities are a bit more complicated. You can't really just show up and be a guide. Um, in fact, the guides go through a two-year process of being trained in everything from glacier travel, what do you do in case one of your participants falls into a crevasse, route finding, orienteering, rock climbing, rappelling, um, and wilderness first aid, and how to make an amazing meal in a single pot on a teeny tiny little stove that everyone will actually eat. It's quite a feat, actually. And then in addition to all of that, they're trained in group dynamics, so like reading a group, feeling out the group, where are they at spiritually, what are they um, what do they want from their group? Do people get along in this group? Um, and then they take all of that and they prepare an intentional week from Bible studies, personal life sharing, um, different elements of metaphors along the trail, and pre-planned trail talk. Like for a guide, you're always on. You're always thinking, your brain is always going of like, is everyone having fun? Are people engaged? Are we getting along? Are we going the right way? <laughs> Oh, what is the weather going to do tomorrow? What are we going to do if lightning strikes in the middle and we're in the middle of crossing a, a glacier? Do we dig a biff or do we pack it out? You know, the, all of these questions for a guide are constantly going on. Um, and so, um, you know, but most guides would say in the end, all of those questions, all of that energy is worth it when your participants have an opportunity to engage with Jesus. So during my two summers of being a guide, there was another term that was often used um, by guides, and that is Sherpa. And the term Sherpa actually refer refers to a group of people who live in the mountain regions of like Nepal and the Himalayas. They're often guides at Mount Everest, but often more than like being the people guiding, they're the porters. So they're carrying up the camps, all the camp stuff, literally the kitchen sink and setting up hand lines, and they're just doing all of the work so the participants just get to be there. Um, and often, though, like to have this term Sherpa as a guide is hard because it means that that relational aspect, aspect is gone. Like they're there just to make sure, you know, people get to the top and they get paid. Um, so it's kind of, kind of a not the best term 
for a guide who's trying to build relationships. So there's kind of the jargon and the heads up of, um, that I'll kind of use uh, as we dig deeper, and that's how I see God as our guide. He's helping us, sometimes it is literally step by step by step, put your foot here. Uh, and the Bible, as, I mean, Exodus was just one example of how the Lord has faithfully guided his people for thousands of years, you know. And sometimes it's super obvious of, you know, follow the pillar of fire at night, follow the pillar of cloud by day, um, you know, and him guiding and navigating through tricky places so that they don't, you know, the Israelites didn't go to war. But other times it's not super clear and it's not as black and white and we hear God speaking in direction. So um, that is what we're going to read right now is an account, account from Matthew that is maybe not quite so uh, crystal clear. So why don't you stand with me? And the scripture is from Matthew 14, starting at verse four, uh, 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him onto the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed the crowd, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, began, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Father, I just give you um, this time. I pray that you would use this the scripture to speak to us in our own different ways, in our own different journeys. Um, I pray that you would just use me and <laughs> what feels like so many inadequacies just to share um, the things that you've shared with me. Please go before us and have your, your word speak to us. Amen. All right. So here we go. Let's jump in. So as I typically like to encourage the kids each Sunday is to imagine the text, like to be there, to experience it, to ask questions and understand what is going on. Um, and it seems kind of silly, but kind of, uh, we've been reading through Harry Potter with our kids and you know like the pensieve that Dumbledore has where like, you know, it's like memories and then you dive in and you get to kind of see the whole scene. So that's what I've kind of been envisioning happening as I've been diving into the scripture. If you don't know Harry Potter, it's okay. You can still play along. Okay, she would know. I don't think it's until book four. So, perfect. Okay, so right before this account that I just read, um, Jesus feeds the 5,000. I feel like you kind of need to know that to set the scene. 
Um, well, I mean, it's more than 5,000 because we know like women and children were maybe not accounted and they didn't have like a little Costco clicker to count as people were there. But it doesn't matter. He's, he fed a whole lot of people from just a few pieces of fish and a few loaves of bread, right? So just imagine the scene now, like thousands of people spread out across the hillside eating fish and bread, like one giant picnic followed maybe by a huge mess, <laughs> right? And so we know the disciples were cleaning up the mess because they got like, like 12 baskets full of leftovers, which is kind of a lot of leftovers. But what's interesting is right when they're done cleaning up, Jesus immediately sends his disciples away. He doesn't use his disciples for crowd control to like, hey, pick up that, hey, exit's over here, fire exit there, you know. He sent his disciples away first. And he was like, get in the boat, go, just go. And then he kind of sent the crowds away. And I think it was maybe like, I don't know if Jesus was maybe just kind of, I don't know, triaging the situation or whatever, but that is kind of the order in which it happened. And then once he sent the people away, he's like, finally, I get to go be by myself in the mountains. And I imagine it was maybe kind of the feeling of lacking when you know you host a, a dinner party and finally the last guests leave, even though you had an amazing dinner party. It's like, okay, they're gone. Okay, now I can kind of deal with everything else. Or you have a kid's birthday party and finally that last kid gets picked up and, you know, by the parent and taken away. And you kind of just get to exhale. That was awesome, but I'm so tired. Um, and maybe relieved and just wanting a little peace and quiet. And so Jesus gets that. He gets to be alone and reconnect with the Father, with his daddy, with his Abba. He gets to go into the mountains and be with his daddy, which is super fantastic. And so as he's engaging with his time in the Lord, with the Lord, um, he still has an eye on his friends, right? He's still watching them, and he sees them struggling in their boat. It's windy, the waves are crashing over them. But Jesus doesn't go out and save the day right then, you know, which he had already done. He's already calmed the storm in a different account, right? And just says, be still. It's what the little boat was for, be still, and could calm it. He doesn't do anything. He just sits there, continuing to pray. Um, and he prayed until the fourth watch of the night, which is about three in the morning. So he prayed from evening till like 3 a.m., which is crazy. Um, so why did Jesus wait so long? Why did he let them kind of suffer through, you know, finagling the boat in the wind and the waves? Was he worried for his friends? Was like, oh, they've got this, they've got the skills. Whatever, for whatever reason, I don't know, he waited. By the time Jesus finished praying and is about to join his friends, it's not like there were extra boats just hanging out on the shore or like an inflatable kayak that he could just go out and cross the sea with to catch up with his friends. It was like first thing in the morning, so it's not like he could go rent or Uber boat. Is there an Uber boat? I don't know. Needless to say, there was nothing to get him to his friends, and they were a considerable distance away. He couldn't be like, hey guys, come back, I'm ready, I'm done praying. They, it was too far away. So instead, what does he do? Because he's Jesus, just walks on the water. You know, and like, this is such an, an awesome point of like Jesus' humanity and his divinity, right? Like, he can walk on water, but you gotta admit that maybe there was a part of him that's like, I'm walking on water. No one's done this before, right? Like, did he have a little smirk on his face of like, this is awesome. 
I don't know. That's just kind of, if I was there, those are the things I would have wanted to know about. But he goes out, and as he's walking on the water, his friends are still struggling. He's like, you know what? They're probably going to freak out when they see me, right? Because he knows his friends. He knows how they respond, and rightfully so, right? Because no one's ever walked on water, ever, and no one ever has since Jesus has. So, like, I wonder if he's like, okay, I don't really have, like, a code word to, like, confirm that it's me or, like, a handshake or, you know, like, when people see me, if I don't respond in, like, the normal gen way, they're like, oh, my gosh, are you okay? You know, it's like, hey, guys. It's just like, hey. You know, so people know, Jen, are you okay? Yeah, okay. Uh, So I wonder if he was thinking of, like, what can I say to reassure them so that they don't freak out, they know it's just me, what's that secret code? Um, So all the while walking towards his friends. And so when Jesus comes into view, the Bible says his friends do exactly as he expected, right? They freak out. They think he's a ghost. They're terrified. They cry out in fear of like, ah. And, and again, rightfully so. And they've been up probably all night long, wrestling in their boat, trying to take on these waves. All of a sudden, this ghost person is coming at them on the water, so I'm trying to give them a little grace that they missed this. Um, and Jesus says, he, sa- he sees that they're panicking and freaking out, and he's like, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And what's cool is, like, I was starting to look through Scripture and see other times that these words are used. And, um, you know, when the Lord led Joshua into the promised land, it was like, hey, be strong, be courageous, take courage, right? And then um, some Bibles say, like, it is I is, like, it's me, I am, the name that, uh, that the Lord gave Moses at the burning bush. And don't be afraid. I feel like, kids, we've done this one a ton as we've seen different encounters with angels and God's messengers. We're like, don't freak out, don't be afraid, I'm here to send a message from the Lord. So all of these things, hopefully, his disciples would have known. Um, Again, we have the upper hand because we have the full scope of scripture, but these would hopefully be little triggers that his disciples would be like, oh, yeah. Okay, it's all coming back to me, it is Jesus. And so the only one we know who had like that aha moment is Peter. Oh, Peter. sweet Peter. And Peter, you know, he's like, okay, I'm just about there, and he musters enough courage to be like, okay, final test. If it's actually you, Jesus, tell me to come. Tell me to come walk out onto the water. And I feel like after Keely and I had done our devotional in Mexico about Jesus' invitation to come, I've seen it like everywhere. Come and see. Come follow me. Come to me if you are uh, weary and need rest. So this word come is, would have been very prevalent for Peter, at least. He might have, like, blown all the other ones and forgotten all the other ones, but the, the invitation to come, Peter would have known. So that was actually quite clever of Peter to come up with that. And um, so that confirmed it for him. That sealed the deal. This is Jesus. Jesus invited me to come. And I feel like sometimes come can be like a command, right, of, like, when we had a dog, porter, come here. You know, like that tone. I mean, I might use that tone with my kids when they were younger, but let's just pretend it was just for my dog. (laughs) 
But I feel like Jesus wouldn't have commanded Peter. He invited Peter. So it's like, all right, come on, Peter. Come here. And, and I had this image of, of Jesus inviting Peter like that. And uh, a week and a half ago, we were on vacation with Jeff's side of the family. And uh, I have a little niece who just turned one. Her name is Izzy. And uh, such a crazy age to be one. But she's trying to walk, and so she'd hold on to something, you know, and, and then she'd get all ready. She never looked at her feet. She never actually looked to make sure that her pathway was clear that she was going to walk, but you, you could see that connection to whoever she was walking with. So sometimes it was Jamie, sometimes it was Jeff, often it was Finley. Finley really wanted to have Izzy walk to him, you know, and it was just like hanging out and getting ready. She didn't walk while we were in, in Black Butte, but... Uh, but I had that same idea of Peter, right? Of like, okay, so how did Peter, he made the decision to go follow Jesus, so then what? Did he take his sandals off? Did he wear his, did he have sandals on? And then it was like, okay, so uh, what did this boat look like that he was coming out of? Um, There's about, this is what I found on what the boat, it's not quite a pirate ship, and it's not quite a rowboat, it's somewhere in between. So I was trying to imagine like what Peter would have looked like you know, does he sit on the edge and, like, just fling his legs out and jump onto the water? Does he hold onto the edge and kind of lean his way and kind of touch with his toe? Okay, yeah, that's going to hold me. Uh, I mean, it's Peter, all in Peter. So he probably was like, sweet Jesus, and, like, jumped out of the boat and then, you know, made his way to follow his friend. So, uh, so Peter gets out, and he probably was like, okay, here we go. Focus in on Jesus. Walking to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Walking to Jesus. Hey, I got this. I'm walking on water. You know, like I would be like, I'm walking on the water. You know, like maybe started having a dance party. Um, and somehow in there, whether it was confidence or what, it's that the Bible says he saw the wind and the waves. He saw the storm. So he was no longer like looking at Jesus, but it was like, goodness gracious, like, what's going to happen? And so in taking his eyes, or maybe he was like, even before he saw the wind and the waves, I, did he turn back and be like, what's up, friends? I'm walking on the water to Jesus, you know? I don't know. Uh, these are just <laughs> things that I think about when I read scripture. Needless to say, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, um, that is when he started to sink. That is when he you know, started to panic and, uh, and called out, Jesus, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and caught Peter, saying, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And even that, like, was that, like, I don't envision Jesus being like, Psh, you have little faith, why'd you doubt, you know? But was it a hurt response? Was it disappointed? Was he just saying, well, you have little faith, why don't you doubt, you know? But I imagine it was more hurtful after all that Peter had seen, right? In that moment, Peter forgot to trust, like his best friend. In that moment, Peter forgot, I just saw Jesus feed 5,000 plus people. I can't even count how many people I have watched Jesus heal with just a word or a touch. You know, he had, for whatever reason, forgot that Jesus calms the storm. Forgot who it was that he was walking to, his faith. 
head um, had kind of wavered. So was it fear? Was it panic? Was it maybe a little self-reliance or control that turned his eyes aside? And again, in that moment, Jesus could have calmed the storm. He could have said, be still. He could have made Peter's feet secure so he wouldn't sink, you know? He, he could have put on an even bigger display of his awesome power so that people would really believe that he's actually Jesus and put their faith in him. But he didn't. He let Peter sink, or start to sink before he caught him. And that's the difference between a guide and a Sherpa. A Sherpa would have, like, fixed everything instantly. But a guide, a guide doesn't do things for us. He does things with us. He empowers us, not enables us. So after Jesus rescues Peter, they climb in the boat. Then it says the winds calm. The disciples who are watching the whole scene in, like, fear and terror had shifted then to a posture of awe and worship. Truly, you are the Son of God. I don't even want to count out the number of times that the (laughs) disciples had these aha moments of, oh, you are who you say you are. You really are the Son of God. You really do love me. You really do have a plan. You are the great healer. You are God. You will not let us drown. But... They're human. They're sinners. They need reminders, just like I do. Like I said, there are tons of examples of God guiding his people. Some are direct and clear. Do this, go here, follow these directions. But the scripture, like I said, has a few different perspectives of God guiding and leading his people to Jesus. And as a guide, sometimes there are those moments where you need to let the participants just try new things, make choices to stretch their comfort zone just a little bit further. Like I said, it's called empowerment. And uh, Jesus, instead of jumping in when when his friends were in the storm and fixing it, he let them battle the the waves and, and all of that. Just for a while, he didn't wait till his friends were on the totally other end of the sea and they're like, all right, cool, you're there, I'll go join up with you now. He still met his friends, in the midst, in the struggles. Um, But it just took time, which I would say, like, we all, hello, we're Americans, we struggle with time, being patient, waiting, wondering. Kids, raise your hand if in the last month you asked your parents, are we there yet? Anybody? Okay. Or adults, (laughs) you can ask, when is the last time? Did you ask, are we there yet, right? A hundred times. Thank you for confessing that, Malcolm. It's true. We all, we all probably, whether we say it or not, are feeling that question. But it's in those moments of waiting and wondering and wrestling, whether it's in the car ride or whether it's in life, the Lord will meet us in different ways. Maybe we'll have a new creative thing to keep us busy for a little bit longer or something to engage us in. But it's in those moments of waiting and wrestling that we're maybe a little more receptive to his promptings. So that's one side. And then again, there are other moments where a guide really does need to step in for safety and the well-being of the participants. Moments of immediate action, quick response. You're sinking and I got your hand, you know. You're freaking out. Just so you know, 
you know, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. You know, those are also moments that a guide steps in and helps us. And sometimes those are, even though they're immediate and maybe a little bit more dramatic, are sometimes harder to see um, because they happen so quickly. There was one moment where I was guiding this group of uh, high school ladies, and I had one of those, like, immediate, instant answer of prayer. Well, I guess it maybe took a couple of days, but when I finally prayed, it was pretty awesome. But all week long, the weather had been crummy, like, just kind of that spitty rain on your face. You were never totally dry. Um, We crossed the glacier in a whiteout, which is, like, essentially everywhere you look, it's just white. You know, you can barely see where your feet are going. And the girls were not happy with me, <laughs> or my co-guide, but I think I took a lot more brunt of it as the, the head guide. I mean, I heard them talking about, like, a mutiny, and how do we call a helicopter, and this trip is horrible. Um, all f- very fair things, because it was not ideal. So finally, we set up camp, we make it to our campground, go to bed. I'm like, it's going to be fine in the morning. We'll be able to see exactly where we need to go. Not a big deal. Wake up the next morning, and we're like socked in again. And the part of this that was tricky on the route is there was a very, it was a wide ridge, but if you go too far to the left, you end up in the woods in the totally wrong direction where you would never be found. And then on the other side, on, on the right, because like, okay, we'll avoid the left, veer to the right. On the right side, there was like a sheer cliff. And either way, when you can't see where you're going, neither option is really amazing. And I was like, I just, I need to see these landmarks, and then I'll be fine. I just, I have a bearing, but I don't even know what I'm supposed to make the bearing to because I can't see anything. And so finally, finally, <laughs> a little slow, I pray out to the Lord. I'm like, I don't even know what to do. Like, only you can fix this. Help me. And as I was crying out to the Lord, the clouds lifted. Just far, not very far, but just far enough that I'm like, there's TD Rock, and there's that one, and there's that one, and there's the, okay. You know, I got my compass, made a quick, like, bearing from where I was standing, and I was just about ready to call my co-guide in to, like, check it out, and boom, the clouds just settled again, and you couldn't see anything. I was like, oh my gosh, Lord, number one, you answered me immediately. And if I didn't look up at that moment to see that you had lifted the clouds for me, you know, it, it just would not have been a fun day. <laughs> you know, so it was, sometimes those, they really do happen where God answers those prayers instantly, but they're a little harder to see. And in all of that, like, to know God knows his people. Jesus knew his friends. He knows us, right? He knows what we need. He knows what we want, even when we are too clueless to figure it out. So, I have three questions for you to ponder. First question, in all of this, who is your guide? Right? Super simple, easy. Who said the answer? Malcolm, you are so on it tonight, buddy. And so, in your life, and as you go about your day, are you the guide or are you a participant? Is God your guide? Are you your guide? Remembering that as a participant, that's not the easy way out either. (laughs) Because as a participant, you still have to carry your pack. You know, Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow after me. But, 
Jesus also says, come to me if you're weary, and I'll help you, right? But it still requires that choice of coming to him and asking him to guide you. And on our Beyond trip with the church ladies, I was constantly questioning, in my head of course, why are we going here? Why are we going this way? The path is that way. Why are we over here? Do they know what we're doing? Oh my gosh, we're going to die. Which was the first rule as a participant, right, is do not die. And as I was constantly asking these questions, the Lord reminded me of like, you're not in control. You're going to have to relinquish the control on this trip and on your life, Jen. <laughs> like, these are the questions you ask me all the time. And it was a really great moment of a heart-to-heart with the Lord of, oh, you're right, I do question you way too much. I just need to trust you as my Lord and as my guide. So, God's people continued also, I mean, luckily, you can look through scripture, and they, you know, in following the Lord, people also complained. Like, if you look more into the Exodus story, it's like, oh, we're hungry. Why did you bring us out here to die? It's like, oh, here's manna, here's quail, here's water, you know, like, so they complained too, and God still loved them. <laughs> so, and in all of these different things, like, they trusted God, they followed God, they wanted God to guide them. Do you? Second question, in this scene that we've kind of gone through, where are you? Where do you fall? Are you walking on the water to Jesus? You know, like celebrating this awesome feat of the power of the Lord. Did you try and get out of the boat and you feel like you're sinking and you're drowning? Are you at the edge of the boat, kind of like testing the water? I don't know, Jesus. I kind of want to come out, but I'm not sure. Are you in the boat cowering, too afraid to get out, or even look over the edge to see what's happening? Maybe you're in the boat, and you're like, I'm just ready to proclaim what I see the Lord doing in the community, and that's okay too. Or maybe you're not even in the boat. Maybe you're still on the shore. But as we remember, the Bible is full of account after account of God's faithfulness to his people, and our position in the boat is constantly changing, as life is constantly changing, whether we know it or not, right? And so, uh, just because you're sinking at one time doesn't mean you're going to sink again. Just because you're cowering in the boat doesn't mean you have to remain cowering in the boat. Jesus meets us wherever we're at. And I wonder, too, like, if Peter had a do-over, right? Like, (laughs) how far would he get? Would he make it all the way to Jesus and be given a high five instead of, like, grabbing onto his hand as he's, like, sinking in the water? Uh, would more of disciples decided to get out of the boat as well? Like, okay, he d- okay, I can see, yes, Jesus, all right, I'm going to do this too. I'm going to figure it out. But I go back to it's Peter's faith in Jesus that allowed him to walk on water. It's the power of Jesus' name and our faith in Jesus that allowed his disciples to heal people like Chris has been going through in, in Acts And it's the same faith that we have in Jesus. About day three of our Ladies Beyond trip, one of my friends said, man, each day seems harder and harder. (laughs) Like, I thought it would get easier. But it's okay. It's great because I feel like I'm ready for the next challenge. 
And so like for her, her comfort zone was growing and being stretched further and further. She was getting confidence in carrying that, those giant packs on their back or, um, you know, okay, I watched you do like Elvis's pelvis up on these rocks, so I can do that too. You know, like constantly encouraging and seeing and having the comfort zone, um, the comfort zone stretched. And so, of course, like we got to experience a mountain summit. Boom. Yes. Pretty fantastic. All because our faith, what seemed impossible on day one by day four, led us to a peak and getting to proclaim God's glory and graciousness from that mountain spot. It's pretty fantastic. So, our faith in Jesus just gets stronger and stronger and stronger the more we stretch our comfort zone, the more he invites us out of our comfort zone. Just as the disciples witnessed more and more amazing things, I would hope that their faith also deepened. The third thing is do you recognize his voice or do you recognize him? So right at first the disciples didn't recognize Jesus as he was walking out to the water and they panicked and Jesus comforted them. But if Peter wasn't aware of those words of comfort, would they all still remain freaking out? Would Peter have had the courage to ask that next step of like, fine Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. And so um, even right now, like I am so far beyond (laughs) out of my boat right now. Uh, out of my comfort zone, but I feel like this exercise has reminded me of, do I remember what the Lord's voice sounds like? Do I remember him speaking to me? Do I know how to walk out in faith? I'll tell you later how I feel if I'm sinking or swimming right now. (laughs) But while we were in Mexico at the Hacienda, Declan had this amazing moment. I was like, Mom! Deck always is really excited. Right, buddy? Big smile on his face. He's like, Mom! I was just out talking to God about the thunderstorms and how then there's rain, and it was like, it was cool. I'm like, all right, buddy, that's great. He's like, I'm going to go get my action Bible and go sit out and talk to God some more. And it was like, so amazing and so cool. Right, buddy? It was cool. And super simple, but Deck heard God speaking to him. And he, whether he was like, what's up, God, you and me? But I wanted to, like, in that moment, bottle it up and have him remember what God's voice sounds like. So as he gets older, he can still go back and be like, oh, yeah, that was like when we were at the Hacienda and I was reading my Bible and God, we were having this thing. You know, so he could remember those conversations. And when I seem to forget what God's voice sounds like, at first I go to Scripture. Like, what are kind of, for me, like the classic chunks of Scripture or stories or verses that he's been speaking to me since? Uh, I gave my life to him when I was 18. How did he use those to speak to me in the moment? Is he using those to speak to me now? Like going back and asking those questions. And then how did I respond? And second, I discuss it with my friends, right? Like that is what is so amazing about this community is we get to hear each other's stories and how the Lord is working in each one of us and we get to be in different parts of the boat encouraging one another to like walk out in faith to Jesus. And then third, I go to what is called my life map. (laughs) This is my journey and faith and life in a nutshell on a single little piece of paper. 
But all the X's are kind of those major crossroads where I had to make decisions or out-of-the-boat experiences or big choices that I needed our guide. And so when I need help or I'm questioning him, like it's really great for me to look back of like, okay, God, you've guided me for the last 41 years of my life. And here's some of the reminders in the Ebenezer Stones. Where are you taking me now? Where am I going? Along with volumes and volumes of journals that are just tucked away in boxes. But I encourage all of you, kids too, like when you have those moments um, of feeling like you had encounters with the Lord or you have choices or some of those big milestones of when you choose to be baptized, um, to keep a record of that. Because God is, he's good and faithful. So in all of this, all of this to say, does it require faith to follow and trust a guide? Yes, absolutely. Is it scary? You bet. But do we have the most amazing, knowledgeable, loving guide ever? Thank you, Malcolm. That was perfect. And imagine all that we would miss out seeing him do in us and through us and a part of our community if we just remained cowering in the boat. If we don't trust our guide and our father, our friend, we never step out on the water, if we ignore that invitation to come, I think that might even be even more terrifying than just staying in the boat. God is our guide. He will not fail us or lead us astray. But instead, he leads us on fantastic, amazing adventures in this life. And don't forget, he says, take courage. It is I, and don't be afraid. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for your power and your goodness and your faithfulness, faithfulness to us people, even though we are weak and we do doubt Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith. We pray that somehow you would uh, encourage us in whatever position we are in the boat right now. And Lord, if we're on the edge of the boat wanting to walk to the water to you on the water but just don't have courage, I pray that you would help us have the faith. I pray for people around us that can encourage us to walk to you, to keep our eyes on you, and to not be afraid. I just pray you would go before each of us as individuals and as a community uh, and that we would proclaim the power of your name and glorify your name through um, the invitation and answering the invitation to come to you. Amen.